Hello and welcome to According to John. Today we are going to be talking about the master con artist. It is amazing how sometimes people can uh, get over on us. They can do things to trick us, deceive us. And I know uh, I don't appreciate it, and I'm sure many others do not either. Thank you, and I am your host, John Westfall. So today, let's get at it. I'm going to read an article about Victor Lustich. He is a master con artist. Says, born into a middle-class family in 1890, Victor Lustich had a good education and spoke five languages fluently. Yet he started a life of crime in what is now the Czech Republic, at first picking pockets and cheating at card games. Victor knew every trick in the book, palming, slipping cards, and many more. He took his antics to the high seas where first-class passengers on transatlantic cruises became his victims. As his crime life evolved, he was known to use nearly 50 aliases, including Count Victor Lustig. However, his most peculiar scam was the money printing machine, a small mahogany box with complicated rollers, gears, and brass dials. Lustig claimed the contraption could duplicate $100 bills using radium. He would demo the box to wealthy victims, lamenting that it took the device six hours to print a single $100 bill. The client, blinded by the opportunity of huge profit, would buy the machine for a high price, usually over $25,000. Over the next 12 hours, the machine would produce two more $100 bills that Victor had preloaded. After that, it spit out blank paper. By the time the clients realized they had been swindled, Lustig was long gone. He soon started a full-fledged counterfeiting operation, flooding the market with $100 bills that were so realistic even treasury agents had trouble spotting them. Did you know that the Bible talks about a shrewd con artist, counterfeiter who tried to sell the world to the Creator? And that brings us to our passage today, Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus and his temptation, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I, I, I want to point out first that Satan does not attack us until we are at our weakest or we are tired or frustrated, angry, lonely. Uh, I mean, whenever we are struggling, that's when he's going to come in and tempt us. He is the ultimate con artist. Well, he tries this with Jesus, and in verse 4, uh, after he says in verse 3, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread, and Jesus answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first thing I want to point out is Jesus doesn't say man can't live on bread alone because the reality is we know that if we eat, we eat right, we're going to live fine, we're going to be healthy, and it's going to be good. But what he says is man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
the reality is that there's no way that we're going to live eternally with Christ without Christ. We need Jesus as our Savior. And the other part is that if we don't want to be conned or we don't want to be tricked, fooled, whatever it is, then we need the wisdom that God has to offer. Now, now if we want to read about wisdom, we can go into Proverbs uh, chapter 8, and we'll read about wisdom. It's a wonderful uh, chapter. If you're interested, it'd be a fantastic read for you. But we find that with God, we literally can have the wisdom that God used when he created you, me, and the world. Wisdom that the world can't comprehend. Wisdom that man just does not understand. God says, I will give wisdom to you if you ask. I'll give it to you liberally. The problem is most people fail to ask. And so when he says here, when Jesus says, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, it is because it is more important that, you're, that you be spiritually right so that when you die and the day is coming, everyone, no one escapes death, uh, it is guaranteed that we will one day uh, pass from this world. And I know people say, well, you have to pay taxes and die. Well, the reality is you don't even have to pay taxes. You can, you can not pay taxes and go to jail. That's, that's not a problem. But none of us will escape death. And so if we're going to live and we're going to live righteous and we're going to live right, we need the word of God to guide and direct us. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And, of course, we know the holy city is Jerusalem. Verse 6, and Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, and <laughs> notice this is twice. In verse 3, if you are the son of God, he, he knew Jesus was the son of God. So, so to even use the word if is absolute blasphemy and, and a punch in the face, if you will. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels, his being Jesus's angels, the angels of God. He will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Verse 7, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. I love Jesus' answer here because in verse 7 when he says uh, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God, Jesus is making it very clear. Satan, you, you conniver, you cheat, you deceiver. I am your Lord. I am the Lord, your God. I, I can't help but to think that at some point Satan in his brain, uh, it triggered and he had to go, yeah, I know you are. But Satan is so fooled that he believes that he could win this battle against Jesus. And the reality is, listen, if, if he could have got Jesus to trip up at all in this, then Satan wins. We would have no way to heaven, and we would lose as well. So he says, Satan, do not test the Lord your God. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
Now, all the kingdoms of the world at this point would literally mean he went up and everything that Jesus could see, because at that time, this was their world. They didn't have the airplanes and so on and so forth. And, and I know we can go, this is on a spiritual level, and he may have shown him every, every kingdom in the world, meaning the entire world. It, it is on a spiritual level. This is, has to do with Jesus, the Son of God. And so he could have showed him that. I'm, I'm not going to uh, argue that one. I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship. That, that is interesting to me because the, the reality is this isn't even his to give. Jesus owns everything. God the Father owns everything, and Jesus is the uh, heir, and we are joint heirs with Jesus. So Satan doesn't even own this. He's trying to give away something that's not even his to give. Verse 9. He says, I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. And then verse 10, Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And so once again, Jesus is reminding Satan, I am your God. I am over you. I already have all of this. I don't need to bow down to you to get what's already mine. You know, uh, that in, in verse 11, and I'm going to finish my thought. In verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and immediately angels came and began to serve him or minister to Jesus. Guys, I, I just want to say that as we go through life, we will be attacked by the devil. Make, make no mistake about it. If you're a child of God, we're going to be attacked by the devil. If you don't know God, you're not going to be attacked by the devil because he already has you. He owns you. You're his. He is your father. And I know that that is something that people don't like to hear, but the reality is if you go and you read John chapter 8, Jesus makes it very clear that unless you are a child of God's and that God the Father is your father, then you are a child of Satan's, and he is your father. I also want you to notice that Satan realized that he couldn't get over on Jesus that he left him. And when he left him, the angels came and ministered unto him and, and helped him restore and get back healthy and, and, and satisfy with drink and food where his body uh, isn't uh, in desperation. And he leaves Jesus alone for a while. Actually, we don't find where Satan tempts him again at all in the scriptures. And then some people say, well, well why, did, why did Jesus set himself up to be tempted by Satan? Well, it's pretty interesting because if you, if you first off, if you go to um, John, the, the first John, sorry, uh, in first John, it says that we are tempted through the lust of the flesh, meaning we got to satisfy the body, lust of the eyes, meaning that we see things that we want and then we have to fulfill that desire to get whatever it is that, we, that we're looking at and lusting after. And then the pride of life. Well, look at me. I'm great. Look what I did. Pat myself on the back. It's all good. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that is a gift of God, not of works, because if it were of works, we would boast. That's that pride of life. In this, we see that Jesus is tempted the same way with the same three things that we are tempted with. Feed the flesh. Turn these stones into bread. So there's the first temptation. 
Then he says, hey, let's go up on the high mountain, and you will see everything, and I'll give that to you. Boy, there's lust of the eyes, right? Oh, what we wouldn't do to own the whole world. And so lust of the eyes and pride of life. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off of this mountain, and the angels will save you before you hit the bottom. And Jesus could have said, yeah, I'll show you that pride of life, right? Well, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. And every way that we are are those three ways. Lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. So when you read the scriptures that Jesus was tempted in every way, that, that's the key word, that he was tempted in every way that we are, it literally means those three ways. Jesus was not tempted with homosexuality. Jesus was not tempted with adultery. Jesus was not tempted with drunkenness or pornography or, I mean, you name it. Jesus wasn't tempted with that. These are the ways that Jesus was tempted, and all three ways are the three ways that we as humans are tempted. Lust of the flesh. It could be different for every person. Obviously, some people are tempted with the same things, lust of the flesh. Let's just say alcohol. Got to feed the flesh, right? After a certain point, our body is desirous and needs that, and so we have to feed the flesh, and we give it more alcohol. As we give it more alcohol, we're feeding the flesh. It might be sexual, heterosexual, homosexual. It doesn't matter. It is the feed the body that sexual desire. It could be food. Some people, they don't ever get enough food. And the body keeps screaming and we keep feeding it. And, of course, the result of that is like the result of drugs or alcohol or, or sex or all that it literally starts destroying the body. Then lust of the eyes. Man, look at that new car. Wow, check out that truck. Oh, I, man, look, I want a new truck. I don't, I don't know about you, but I love these new trucks. And, man, I would love to have a crew cab, Chevrolet Z71, loaded out, leather, power everything, all wheel, four-wheel drive. I mean, just give me all of it. I want it, right? That's lust of the eyes. And then pride of life. You know, pride is what stops us from serving God because we got to serve ourselves. Pride gets in the way of forgiveness. Pride gets in the way of saying I'm sorry. Pride gets in the way of humility. I can't be humble because if I show you a weakness or what appears to be a weakness... That's bad. I'm the man. You got to see I'm the man. And so that, that pride of life gets in the way or look what I've done. Because we might feel insecure and because of our insecurities, we got to feed that with look what I've done. How great can I be? A little bit of money isn't enough. I need a whole lot of money. It's all about me. And so we have this pride of life to do the best, look the best, be the best. All three of these eventually will tear the person down. And so we have to be careful of that. And we say, well, then why was Jesus tempted? Well, we can go to Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2 through 4. It says that Jesus was tempted in all ways that we are, 
yet without sin, so that he could be our great high priest, understand what we are going through, understand, listen, he, he now knows what it is for the body to be desirous of water and food. Now, you say, well, nobody can go 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. Don't forget we're talking about God-sized temptations, not man-sized temptations. And so he knows what it is for his body to be depleted, to be tired, to be hungry and thirsty. So now he can have compassion on us. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that Jesus goes on our behalf because he understands what we have gone through or what we go through. And so he goes on our behalf to the Father to pray for us. That's huge. Because we have a great high priest who was tempted in all ways that we are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life so that he can have compassion on you and me because he understands. Had Jesus not come down to earth and went through this, he would have an idea. He understands that the body without food and water is destructive. He understands that things that go into our body is destructive. He understands that uh, uh, lusting after things draws us away from him because we are, we're going after the other things. He, I mean, he understands all of that. But now, he's lived it. And so to live it gives a whole new meaning because it's really difficult to look at someone that's lost a loved one and say, I understand if you've never lost a loved one. It's very difficult to tell someone that is struggling with uh, their partner being an addict and you've never experienced that to tell someone you understand their pain because the truth is you don't. I don't if, if I've never lived it. And then to deal with someone that is so full of themselves and so arrogant, well, we all know somebody like that. <laughs> so we can understand, I, I believe, that we can understand to a degree. And so what I want us, you to notice today is that Satan, if we look in 1 Peter 5, 8, is a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He is on the prowl. He is searching diligently to take people down. And he will go to any length to destroy you, to destroy me. He will go to any length to keep us from God. And obviously, everything he tries for us to do is to sin because sin has its pleasure. Make no mistake about it. Sin has its time of pleasure, of fun. But the Bible says that sin, once it gives birth, it brings forth death. And the death that it's talking about is the sin that is held to our account. Because there's going to come a day, according to Revelation, when the books are open. Not just the book of life, 
but the books, the Bible says. And in those books, God has kept record of everything that you and I have done. And the Bible says he's going to open those books and he's going to read that to us. He's going to read your life to you and my life to me. And then he's going to judge us for the sins that we have committed. And, and we'll be guilty. There's, there's no way that we can say, but I didn't mean to do that or, or that wasn't me. And God's going to go, no, 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 no. It's, it's all right here. You, you can't deny the truth. So if you don't know Jesus, that means your name is not written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And if it's not written in the Lamb's book of life, then all your sins are not forgiven and they're held to your account, which means you'll have to answer for it. And when you answer for that, the only answer you will have is I am guilty. And God will judge you accordingly and sentence you accordingly. But God says, listen, I know that that's not going to be good, and that's not my desire for you, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, the people, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. That verse 17 goes on, not to condemn the world, but that the world or the people through Jesus might be saved. It's not God's desire to condemn us. It's, it's not God's desire to convict us. It's his desire that we would all be with him. God the Father has went to every length to make that happen. And Jesus willingly put himself in harm's way, removed himself from his position at the right hand of the Father in heaven, came down to earth, to give his life for you and me, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This, this was the whole idea, well, the whole idea of God was that we would never have left the garden. Humanity wouldn't have, but Adam and Eve looked at the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that they were warned not to touch. And the Bible says that Eve saw that it was pleasant to the eye. And Satan, the, the ultimate con artist, comes in and tells Eve, hey, go over there and get a little bit of that. And Eve said, God said that we should not eat of it or touch it. Well, God didn't say not to touch it. He said don't eat of it. And Satan, in his trickery and deceit, said, well, God knows that if you eat of the fruit of that tree, that you'll be just like him. Now, the interesting thing to that is Satan wasn't lying. He, he did not lie to Eve. He, he deceived her, but he was 100% right. He was being 100% truthful. But because she had this lust of the eyes and pride of life to be like God, she took of the fruit. Now, Satan was right because he said, you'll be like God. And the way that she would be like God is she would understand or have knowledge of good and evil. 
good being that of God, evil being that of Satan. Whatever whatever goes against God is evil. So so when when you when you see what Eve has done, she did it because of the lust of the eyes, and she did it for the pride of life. And then she gives it to her husband, Adam, who is with her. And Adam, knowing better, when Eve took a bite of that fruit and Adam saw that she didn't die, I'm thinking that in his mind he went, God lied to us. Having been deceived and conned by Satan, believing Satan over God, he took the fruit and ate of it as well. And then the Bible says that now they realized they were naked. Their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. And then the next thing that we see, they're hiding from God. Guys, that's, that's what Satan does. He comes in, and, and he might come in as an angel of light. He might come in as this glorious thing. He might come in and, and con or deceive you to believe that God is a liar and that he is truth. And if we're not careful, we'll fall for it. And not only will we fall for it, but then we'll just fall. Fall from God's grace, fall from, from that which God has called us to, which is glorious and blessings. Because the master con artist was able to convince you that God, who cannot lie, lied. God puts everything out there for our good, and he tells us all things for our good. The problem is, we think, ah, God, you're just getting in my way. God, you don't want me to have fun. God, you don't want me to have this or that or whatever it is. And so then we go against God and we believe the great deceiver. I want to encourage you today to understand that for you to live, we have to listen to what Jesus said in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 4. And that is, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And scriptures is every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written and inspired by God. And everybody, well, man wrote the Bible. Yeah, man wrote the Bible, and what man wrote was what God told them to write so that it would be for our learning, for our edification, for our conviction, for our reproof, for us to be able to walk in righteousness and to avoid the deceiver, to avoid the pitfalls that Satan puts in front of us. God loves us so much that he even says, listen, whatever, whatever sin that is common to man, I've made in a, way, a way of escape. I have, I have put a door in that you can run through to get away from that which Satan is trying to fool you or trick you into doing. The, the problem is Satan has made staying 
look really good. Very enticing. And we having the desire to satisfy us on whatever level it is, we hang out and think God just wants to cheat us out of some fun. The Bible says that the way of sin leads to death. Let me encourage you today. Do not fall for the trickery and the deceit of the master con artist, Satan. He will do all he can to pull us down. And yet, if we hold on to every word of God, he won't get us. The enemy will not be victorious, but we will have victory over the enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, we, we hear about how we can have victory because that's the whole armor of God. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. And I believe it starts in verse 10, and it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the trickery or the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And we're not talking the heavens because the Bible says there's three heavens, and the three heavens are we look up and we see the sky. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is that where God resides. And, and this against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens, that is that which just is above us. Verse 13, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand, stand, stand. That's what verse 14 says. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. Verse 15, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We're to pray for one another. I just want you to know you need faith in Jesus Christ. Without that, you, you're, well, you are family of the devil. But God has given us everything we need to fight. And if you notice in this whole list of armor that we are, that we are to put on, there's nothing for our back. And that's because we are to go full forward face on everything that comes in our life, knowing that we have victory through Jesus Christ and that God's got our back. I pray you have victory and I pray you have success because you're holding the hand of Jesus and you're looking to the Father in heaven who has created you and loved you and made a way for you to get to him. Until the next time, God bless you. This has been According to John. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow. God bless.